Hey friends, this episode of The Fellow on Call is not meant to be used for medical advice and is intended for educational purposes only. Patient information has been modified to ensure privacy. The views expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Enjoy! Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Fellow on Call, the Hemong Podcast. We're coming at you from Rulo University Medical Center. I'm Ronuk. I'm Vivek. And I'm Dan. And on today's episode, we continue breaking down what I thought and maybe still is my worst nightmare, and that's HemePath. Hopefully at this point, listeners, you've listened to our last two episodes where we've really been breaking this down, really getting into the details, and I think I'm learning a lot. Guys, do you, hopefully you also think that I'm learning a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. We've, we've been learning together. We've been learning together. D- Dan's, Dan's the first person to actually explain science. I did not know science before, Dan, so this is good. As always, Dan, thanks for imparting your many, many words of wisdom on me. I appreciate it. Hey, of course. Thanks for listening. The other thing I want to say is that the last recording, you may have heard Ronak's raspy voice. Dude had COVID. So our, so our very own Ronak, he, he battled through the COVID, and he, we still came out on top and, and got that cytogenetics episode done. This just goes to show how, one, fearful I am of cytogenetics, two, how much I love this podcast, and also three, the importance of getting your vaccines, including your booster shots, because that's how you get through COVID and you end up being just fine. I feel great now for what it's worth, for what it's worth guys. Well, that's awesome because, you know, yeah, uh, after, after we recorded uh, Unmasked together in, uh, in a small, small room. <laughs> That's a joke, guys. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone. How are you guys doing today? Doing really good. Had a nice uh, holiday break, so feeling really refreshed now. Yeah, yeah, me too. I don't know when these are going to get released, so we won't mention what holiday, but yes, I too enjoyed a good holiday. Well, that's good. Well, I'm hoping then that I could feed off some of this refreshed, fresh energy of yours to keep on going down and dissecting that nightmare of a call that I had where I got that page from HemePath. Do you guys recall talking about this? At least I hope you do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Okay, don't be so dramatic, guys. It wasn't that bad. I'm not asking that many questions. At least I hope I'm not. But I will say, for what it's worth, you guys have taught me a lot already, and so I really, really appreciate it. But that being said, you know, I was hoping we could further that discussion a little bit today. Um, and so at this point, you know, in, in prior sessions that where we've just been chatting about all this stuff, we've talked about flow cytometry, and we've talked about karyotypes, and we talked about uh, fish staining and things of that sort. And I was hoping that we could kind of shift gears today to talk about a related but somewhat different kind of technique, at least I think it's somewhat different, um, aminohistochemistry. Does that does that sound cool? Sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Awesome. And and so I think first and foremost, guys, just really, could you break it down for me? What is, is aminohistochemistry? And maybe we can talk a little bit about why it's even necessary to do. So I'll, I'll start off and I'll let Dan actually explain the technique and go through the science of everything, but I'll, I'll give you my brief clinical explanation of, of IHC or immunohistochemistry. It's really important in helping us do a couple of things for making a diagnosis of cancer. So one thing 
it can further establish clonality that we talked about before for heme malignancies. So in the same way that flow cytometry can tell you the CD surface markers, and you would say that if you have a clonal cancerous population that we mentioned before, they all have the same sort of aberrant expression of those CD markers. You can do that with flow cytometry, but remember, we needed live cells for flow cytometry. Sometimes we don't have that. We only have fixed specimens. And in that case, IHC can help complement the flow cytometry if you can't do flow. Um, and then in other situations, you may have aspirated a specific population of cells that doesn't represent the entire architecture of your cancer, meaning that you may have gotten a population of cells that have some pattern of CD markers. But if you look at, for example, the entire lymph node, there are different subpopulations within that lymph node that IHC can help you delineate. So what IHC is doing is it's staining the cells for protein expression, again, uh, going along with identifying the phenotype of the cell. So for in heme malignancies, you can find your CD markers that using this technique. And for solid tumor malignancies, you can stain for a variety of different proteins, and different patterns of proteins are associated with specific diagnoses. So for example, you know, you get a biopsy of, of a lung mass, and then you stained it for specific protein markers that are commonly associated with, for example, lung adenocarcinoma. And if those stains are positive, then you say, I have a diagnosis of lung adenocarcinoma. So that's kind of the, the basics of it is that you're staining cells for protein expression. It helps you reinforce this idea of identifying clonality. Uh, and it can be done on fixed specimens, not live cells like the flow cytometry technique. And Dan, take it away with explaining exactly how this process works. Yeah, so uh, that, was a, that was a great lead-in. Basically, uh, IHC, or immunohistic chemistry, as we've been saying, it starts off by preparing slides of the cells, of, of the tissue, rather. And we're taking really, really small slices. Uh, usually, the tissue is fixed with something like formalin embedded in a medium like paraffin and then sliced down as thin as three or five microns thick, or uh, micrometers. And um, it is, at that point, that you're able to stain with antibodies. And these antibodies may be labeled fluorescently uh, so that you can image a bunch of different markers at the same time with fluorescent microscopy or uh, stain with a more simple chromogenic reporter like horseradish peroxidase, something that's going to leave sort of a brown residue wherever that antibody is uh, is located. And because we're using fixed cells that we're slicing thin and, and there's a variety of different pre-stain processing that can be done to expose intracellular antigens, we can much more precisely quantify internal cellular structures with antibody stains than we'd be able to do with live cells in a flow cytometry platform. And uh, as Vivek was mentioning, we got uh, the ability to see cells in context. So when you're able to stain cells in situ where they are in the tissue, it can give you more information about the microarchitecture of a lymph node, for example, or clusters of plasma cells that are clearly abnormal that may not emerge as a significant population on flow cytometry, but are much more obvious when you see them in context on an actual bone marrow core section. That's some of the difference that you're going to see, although both flow cytometry and IHC are phenotypic profiling modalities. They just have sort of different use cases. Whenever I have this conversation, I, I think back to what we talked about last time and just describing phenotype as essentially, like you guys said, the hair color of the cell. So again, trying to um, find out what's expressed uh, on a uh, from a protein level, this test is not looking at the actual 
genetic information per se. Is that is that safe to say? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. And 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 I think what's interesting about this is Dan, it kind of sounds like the technique is is similar to it's similar to flow. You're still potentially using antibodies. They're still labeled and tagged with something that we're able to then visualize. And and so uh, are 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 would you say that these tests are analogous? Is that also safe to say? They're pretty similar, uh, as you identified in the technology they're using to stain the antigen of interest. But just the platform that you're using for detection and the sort of the ability or the things that you see are, are very different. So for flow cytometry, that's a much more powerful platform for quantifying large, large groups of cells. But again, with the caveat, they have to be alive and they have to be in solution. Where with IHC, you can get really nice anatomic information, microanatomic information about a tissue sample that you've acquired. But, you know, the cells have to be fixed and you can't really quantify all that many. It's just whatever you happen to get in that layer in your thin section. I see. I, you know, I think, I think that's, that sounds all really good conceptually. I'm having a little bit hard of a hard time picturing exactly how this is used on a day-to-day practice for um, what it sounds like for both malignant hematology, but potentially for also for solid tumors. And so do you guys have any examples that you can maybe use to reinforce exactly how we're using this clinically? I think that might help me remember this a little bit better. Yeah, let's let's definitely go through some cases to really reinforce this. And I, I think Dan, one thing before we do that, I want to clarify this with Dan. Would it's would we say that when we're thinking about flow cytometry, that is look that's a more uh, you can get better resolution with flow cytometry. Look at very very you know you can detect very small subpopulations of cells. Whereas with IHC, it's more of a macroscopic as opposed to a microscopic look at things. Yeah, you know it. it- it is and it is, and I think uh, what you're saying basically is that yeah, you can in flow cytometry you can find uh, a needle in a haystack because you get to look at a much larger haystack. I guess is a way to way to put it. You're you're scanning through a, a really large number of cells. Where IHC, you know, you're thinking about it like a sort of like a peripheral blood smear. You can only see the cells that you have in front of you, uh, and that that's how it is with IHC as well. You're limited to looking at the sort of sections of tissue that you have stained. That makes sense. So let's go through some some clinical examples of this. So one of the most important things in malignant hematology, and I'm, I'm specifically talking about acute leukemias, is diagnosing the acute leukemia. Different ways of doing this, but I'm going to talk about the total blast percentage. So we all have heard that you have to have a certain amount of blast before you're defined as having acute myeloid leukemia or acute lymphoid leukemia. And we typically define that as greater than 20% blasts. So when we're thinking about identifying the percentage of blasts from the total population of cells, one way to do that is with flow cytometry. When you were looking at, so if you guys are on a, a malignant hematology rotation or a leukemia service, look at that bone marrow biopsy report now that we've talked about what flow cytometry is, and you'll also see they talk about IHC staining as well. Because what they're doing is they're saying, how do we how do we know what a blast is, right? And we've talked about this before, that you can look at a sample and it could morphologically look like a blast, but you don't know it's a blast until you characterize it through either flow cytometry or IHC to see that it has this certain expression of cell surface markers or protein expression that are characteristic with blasts. So for bone marrow 
looking at blast numbers and blast percentages, you can stain it for something like CD34. So remember with flow cytometry, we were getting multiple CD markers at once. With IHC, you're staining for one thing at a time. Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at this, at this fixed specimen. And as Dan said, you can, uh, one of the agents that are used makes it look brown. So essentially you'll look at this specimen of cells under the microscope and they'll all light up brown, the cells that are expressing this protein. And so what you can do is count the total number of cells that are expressing a specific protein divided by the, uh, total number of cells that are and aren't expressing this protein. And that gives you your percentage, your blast percentage. And one of those markers that we can use is CD34. So you'll see on bone marrow biopsy reports, or when you talk to your pathologist, they say, oh, we're waiting for the CD34 stain to come out. And that's because they're staining the cells for CD34, which is characteristic of a blast, and then counting those number of cells and dividing that by the total population to get the blast percentage. And there are a variety of circumstances where that can actually be more accurate than what you got with your flow cytometry blast percentage technique. So that's it. it I wouldn't say one is better than the other, but they, they give you complementary information uh, that, that changes depending on what clinical context you're looking at. Got it. That's absolutely right. And you know, there, there's sort of um, specific contexts where you're going to have poor sensitivity on aspirate. And in one of those is when you're looking at the plasma cell discretions, plasma cells are notoriously sticky and kind of hard to draw out in aspirate. So uh, Vivek's right to say that these are complementary methods. They're both, they may both may be looking at the same markers, but you're going to get very different information depending on the specific biology of the cells you're targeting. And Dan, would you say that because the plasma cells are harder to aspirate, that when you do flow cytometry, you might underestimate the population because you're just not getting them out to, to flow them, that you're, that when you do the IHC, you're actually getting a, a, a much better estimation? That's right. And, you know, uh, not only can you underestimate the total proportion of, of plasma cells that occupy in the bone marrow, uh, you may also miss sort of small abnormal clusters, even if the absolute amount of plasma cells isn't abnormally high uh, in sort of the post-treatment monitoring setting, uh, pathologists will be sensitive to seeing abnormal clusters of plasma cells, which can sort of portend return of disease uh, even before the percentages themselves suggest that. Well, that's certainly good to know. Um, so, I mean, it's already becoming very evident to me that this plays a critical role in in the overall process. I, I guess my, my other follow-up question to that is then what about things like um, with like lymph node involvement, would this be a technique that would be helpful for uh, making a diagnosis of lymph node, uh, lymph node involvement by, by a malignancy? Definitely, Ronak. And, and I think one of the things we mentioned in our flow episode was saying that, hey, try to, anytime you're getting that excisional lymph node biopsy or that lymph node biopsy, run it for flow. But if you fix it, I think Dan said you can't unscramble that egg, which is Awesome. I never, I never, that's such a good way of thinking about this. Brilliant. Uh, it's, it's brilliant because you can't unscramble that egg. So what do you do then? Well, you can use IHC. We're not, we're not totally lost if we can't flow all the cells there, right? So we still have IHC. And like Dan said, we're getting the, the context of what proteins are being expressed, um, in the, in the architecture of the lymph node as well. So it, it gives you, you look at something and we call that morphology, what it looks like. And then we can do things like flow sometimes. And we can do this complementary technique like IHC where we say, hey, let's look at uh, 
so we can we, we talked about the CD markers. Let's see if this is expressing CD20, a B cell marker. Let's see if this is expressing CD19, another B cell marker. So consistent with like a B cell lymphoma if you're looking at this lymph node biopsy. But you can also look for other protein expressions that you may you would not be able to get on flow cytometry. Uh, One of those is KI-67. So anybody listening to this who has seen any sort of pathology report or read any oncology note, you'll see people comment on this KI-67 proliferation index. All the time. All the time. And and I was just like, what the heck is this thing? Nobody really explains it. They're just like, oh, higher KI-67 is bad. But what what they're doing in this technique is that KI-67 is a protein that is present uh, when the cell is is undergoing active replication processes in the cell cycle. And so if you have a lot of KI-67, that means your cells are rapidly dividing. They, they want to divide, and that's a sign of a more aggressive cancer that is dividing faster. So you can get this sense of the percentage of cells that are expressing this KI-67 protein, which helps you, again, when we talk about all this, one of the things establishing clonality with these things, but also, in this case, would help you risk stratify. So helps you make a diagnosis and finding some of these IHC expressions can help you risk stratify these patients. And, you know, uh, again, speaking to some of the subtle differences between IHC and and, uh, flow cytometry, um, and this is specifically with the chromogenic type of IHC, the the kind of IHC where you see brown staining under light microscopy, um, is that on fluorescent-based platforms like flow cytometry, you can really quantify the degree of expression of a particular marker on individual cells. Uh, with immunohistochemistry, the chromogenic modality, uh, you just you don't really get reliable quantification information. Uh, these reactions sort of rely on uh, amplification steps to increase the amount of signal that you see, but uh, it doesn't do so in any sort of reproducible way. And so you can't speak to how much is being expressed on the surface of a cell. Um, it's it's really more of a binary. Is there expression or is there not? And and so, Vivek, I think you alluded to the fact that this is not only useful in hematologic malignancies, but there is utility in using this technique for, for solid tumor diagnoses as well. Um, and again, so do you have some examples just again to kind of really hit this point home? I do better with examples as I'm sure you guys know. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. So, uh, as, as everybody knows when they're on any service in the hospital, whether you're a surgeon, whether you're uh, more on the medicine side of things, we talk about getting a biopsy. Everybody talks about getting a biopsy and, Oftentimes you'll be you'll have some patient who maybe has a lung mass and has an axillary lymph node involvement and lymph nodes in other places. And you don't necessarily biopsy that lung mass, but you biopsy an easier target like that axillary lymph node, something that's that's easier to biopsy, less invasive. And the question then comes, well, if you're the pathologist, well, that's just coming from the axillary region. What cancer is this? How do I figure out what cancer this is? Well, you look at the clinical context. And you, you run these IHC stains, and there are specific patterns of staining that correspond to specific diagnoses. For example, let's say that we had this patient who had a lung mass and this axillary lymph node and a supraclavicular lymph node. I'll throw that in. And let's say we biopsied the supraclavicular lymph node, and we stained that for something called TTF1. So that's just a, a protein. It's it's scary whenever we use these fancy names. It's literally just a protein that is called TTF1. 
And if it's if you see that that in that specimen, there's a bunch of these brown lit up spots that, that Dan had just referred to with this microscopy, you see all these brown targets, then you know those cells are expressing TTF1. And that makes me think lung in origin. It's most likely to be some type of a lung cancer in origin. So that's that's one example. Another example, let's say that you thought somebody had colon cancer that spread outside of the colon and uh, you, you know, got, got a colonoscopy and, and you got a specimen, but now you want to know, well, there's another, another mass in the liver. Is this the colon cancer? Or is it something else? Well, when you biopsy that mass in the liver, what you can do is say that let's stain this for a protein that's commonly expressed in colon cancer. One of those is a protein called CK20. So I'm throwing all these weird technical protein names at you. But the point of this is that you don't need to memorize these things. There's a chart that basically says, look at these, and it's an algorithm. It's do a certain set of stains first based on your clinical context. And once those result, you could say, oh, uh, now I'm going to run this second set of stains. It's almost like, you guys remember in, in, in uh, microbiology when you were trying to classify the organism? It's the exact same concept. You run a certain test first, and then so you run a certain set of stains first, and then you run a, a, a separate set of stains that helps you diagnose whether this is a colon cancer or a lung cancer, for example. And, and so just to kind of, you know, making sure that I'm relating this back to the stuff we talked about last time too, the, the caveat to all of this, at least what I'm taking away from this, is that you need to know what you're looking for, right? So it's kind of like fish where your information is only as good as the probes that you use. In this case, the whatever stains that you use. That is that is that a accurate statement to make? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, you're only going to stain the things that you're looking for. And pathologists will have to use sort of context clues. Like is does this already does it look like an adenocarcinoma? Should I be looking for sort of adenocarcinoma specific markers? Does it look neuroendocrine? Do I need to confirm that this is a neuroendocrine tumor? Uh that that sort of thing. So it's it's usually an informed uh an informed panel of stains that they'll be employing. Another thing I wanted to mention with uh to to wrap out the solid tumor discussion is using IHC to identify PDL1 status. So it, to to bring everybody up to speed if you all don't know what PDL1 is, it's essentially a marker that we think allows us to know how somebody's going to respond to immunotherapy. You guys have heard the word immunotherapy, I'm sure, that we're giving these medicines that that allow your immune system to detect the cancer and kill it. And one of these markers that we look for is PDL1, and we do that with IHC staining. Got it. Okay. So I, you know, I think I think what I'm taking away from this discussion as a whole is once again that IHC just kind of has a very specific role in the overall um, process of investigating when something doesn't seem quite right. And, you know, and it sounds like, you know, it's completely complementary to the techniques that we've previously discussed. But what's important to take away from this is that in many cases, this allows us to get information from fixed tissue as opposed to some of the previous techniques that we talked about where you need live cells. But also that this technique isn't so much focusing on what the individual genetic changes are on a, on a, you know, chromosomal level. It's more again about the phenotypic changes that characterize 
what each different cell is, um, and and that these patterns of expression allow us to better identify uh, what we're kind of working working with and, and looking for. Is that once again, I just want to make sure that I'm understanding this. Is that is that safe to say? Did I did I do a good job? You nailed it again. Yeah, couldn't have summarized that better ourselves. Uh, I'm just going to pat myself on the back all night now. That sounds great. Any closing remarks, gentlemen? I I, I really thank you. Like This definitely helped a lot in, in rounding this discussion out. I, I definitely feel a lot better about the role of IHC. Because to be honest, up until now, I think I've skipped the IHC portion of the PATH report every single time I've looked at a PATH report. And maybe it's going to be a little less daunting when I look at when I have to look at one probably tomorrow. One thing I want to say is I never looked at, and this is somebody who wants to go into HEMOC. I never really looked at the path report until I was a fellow and just, just start looking at it and start realizing that start kind of Googling, like what does this CK seven marker mean? Or what does this TTF one mean? And just remember it in this, this discussion that you just heard, all of this is just helping you make a diagnosis and helping you risk stratify patients. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps up another exciting episode of The Fellow on Call. So until next time, guys, take it easy. See you later. Peace out.